and welcome to the initial podcast of Behavioral Health 2.0. My name is Suki Norris, and I'll be hosting this podcast. During it, we're going to talk about various issues in behavioral health. And today, we're going to start out with social determinants of health. And I'm going to talk about how loneliness should be one of the key social determinants of health. Was it the physical health issues that caused that early demise, or was there a mental health issue lurking behind that was responsible? We all need to see that we're in a loneliness epidemic. Within the social determinants of health, we know that there are multiple elements that make it up. One of the elements that I've always felt was missing is loneliness. So today I want to talk about why I think it belongs within social determinants of health and stuff and, and kind of what I know about loneliness, what I want to share with you about loneliness. First off, let's see how other people have thought about it. Emily Dickinson called loneliness the horror not to be su- surveyed. And while I didn't know Emily Dickinson, I might have read some about her, she was probably somebody who knew about loneliness. Robin Williams once said, I used to think the worst thing in life was to end up alone. It's not. The worst thing in life is to end up with people who make you feel alone. Those are two interesting takes into what loneliness is. Loneliness is a pervasive concept. It corresponds to a discrepancy between your actual social relations and how you see those social relations. So think of yourself in a room with lots of people, people you even know, but you feel extremely lonely for whatever reason. That's what loneliness is. You can be in that group of people and feel like you're not a part of them. Now, I can't speak for everyone, but I know I felt like that at times. And what this definition really underscores and what you've got to understand is that Feeling alone or lonely doesn't mean you are alone, nor does it being alone mean you're lonely. They're really two separate things. If you think of one as real, as something like your mouse on your computer or your phone, and the other, just the air around you, you'll get the idea of the difference between the two. Social isolation which we've all heard a lot about during COVID-19, means that you have few social connections or interactions. Loneliness is that subjective perception of isolation, but social isolation is that real, that absolute uh, concept of isolation. Social relationships are considered crucial to emotional well-being. They should be part of us. They're part of the needs that most people have. It's a connection to a biological need, to your physical well-being, and maybe even your survival. Social isolation can be addressed, and you needn't be lonely within social isolation. One interesting fact as we live through COVID-19 is that prior to the pandemic, about a third of people who were assessed were lonely. During the pandemic, 
well over 40 to 50% of people felt that they were lonely. And this isn't a subjective or a objective feeling. These people answered questions based on an assessment and the scores told us they were lonely. These weren't people suffering from social isolation, which I know I was and many of you were. These were people who were lonely, even within their family groups or whatever their social pod was. So why do I even care about loneliness? And why would I think that it should be a part of social determinants of health? Well, that's pretty easy because loneliness is attributable to several behavioral health issues and physical health issues. I'll step aside and say one of the reasons I first thought about loneliness is because I learned early often about the difference in uh, early death amongst people who were mentally ill. And my question really was something like, well, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Was it the physical health issues that caused that early demise? Or was there a mental health issue lurking behind that was responsible? And what I learned is that loneliness might very well be that mental health issue. Loneliness is a psychosocial risk for such things as depression, alcoholism, suicidal thoughts and aggressive behaviors, social anxiety, impulsivity, and when you marry that with the physical side, you see that it's also a risk for cognitive decline and the progression of Alzheimer's disease. On the physical side, you also see recurrent stroke, obesity, vascular resistance, abnormal ratios of circulating white blood cells, smoking, physical inactivity, and high blood pressure. These are all pathways to prematurely early mortality risk. So those lonely folks for whom we are not providing services, we're not seeing as core to the social determinants of health, are dying because of the risks attendant to loneliness. Many U.S. health organizations are actually slow to recognize the dangers of loneliness. But the World Health Organization explicitly recognizes the importance of that so of those social connections. There are countries in the world who actually see that we are in a loneliness epidemic. But the challenge that we are going that we are going to face is that we all need to see that we were we're in a loneliness epidemic. And that's going to be challenging. You might have gotten from my first couple of quotes that I like quotes. So I'm going to give you a couple more. Loneliness is the poverty of self-solitude. Self-solitude is going to be the richness of life by May Sarton. Walking with a friend in the dark is better than walking alone in the light. That's from Helen Keller. They're right in their approach to the risks of loneliness. With the strong evidence that we have that relate more depressive symptoms and the progression from normal cognition, we really have got to address this. Loneliness has been linked to worsening cognitive function over a 12-year period. Think of that. As your cognitive function decreases, you're going to be less likely to interact with the world outside of you. So now you've got 
a very serious dynamic that says, one, you're lonely. Now I'm going to begin to impair your social cognitive ability. Now you have poor cognitive functions. And now I don't want to go out and engage. If we want to address loneliness, we have got to bring it into a world that is part of social determinants of health. Why? Because it is the social determinants of health that are being taught in public health, that are being discussed widely in academic and non-academic articles that seek to address the health disparities in this country and all over the world. If we don't see loneliness as a true health disparity, then the social determinants of health will fail. And nobody wants to see that happen. There is no good answer. There is no excuse for health disparities. So why would we say we shouldn't talk about loneliness? So we know that loneliness is a growing public health concern. We know it's largely ignored. We can easily explain to folks that there is a, there's a, large, a risk of large impact on mental and physical health. But you know that even before COVID-19, before we were faced with social isolation, we were so slow to address the needs of the lonely. And in this, we lagged behind other developed countries. England, many years before anyone knew of COVID, created a commission on loneliness, a commission. That means a senior government official was put in charge of addressing loneliness. They built a campaign of more than 2,500 organizations and people in the UK who campaigned to policymakers and commissioners and actively spread the awareness of loneliness on social media among network members and academics and specialists to create actionable research. And they did just that. They established something called the Great Get Together, where neighborhoods invited one and all to share lunch, company, social interaction. Over 10,000 people joined in the event. In another event, the Great Viral Door Knock, there was just a push to identify the hidden lonely in a metropolitan area. They used loneliness heat maps to identify communities most in need, and then sent people out to knock on the doors and create relationships. Even after COVID, they continued to make phone calls. College kids were in places where they were, their goal was to just say hi to people. They were brought on interns, and their whole job was to say hi to people, just to create that social connection. In the United States prior to COVID, there were a few campaigns. Oprah Winfrey, Sanjay Gupta, and Gail King created the Just Say Hello, and they were supported by Skype, where they would just, where people were brought in to just Skype other people to create some kind of connection using Skype. AARP also had an initiative on social isolation, and there was a Do It campaign to end isolation. All of these were created before COVID-19, and they were really designed to raise the awareness about and to reduce the stigma around loneliness. But really, they only represent the first step because their reach was fairly 
small. We need effective treatment as well. Since COVID-19, many communities have started programs oh, that reach out to the lonely and the socially isolated towns, college campuses, and regional areas have all started these types of programs. In addition, the Unlonely Project, through the Foundation for Art and Healing, has resources and tools to engage in creative activities and enable social connections. Many projects like these exist, but one particularly caught my eye. In Norway, they created the one button computer. Why? Because so many of the lonely are older, they may not be able to use a computer, it may be difficult. But without the computer, they, they, they didn't have that same capacity to connect with folks. So that one button computer became their tool to connect with their families, with friends, with others who were just checking in on them. And I thought, what a good idea. Because I remember when I tried to teach my mother how to use a phone, it didn't work. A one-touch computer might have been the perfect answer. Social media is also available to make connections. Living with teenagers, I know very well about social media and its use. And it does allow for connections. It allows for FaceTiming. It allows for Zoom meetings. It allows for things that bring people together in a safe and healthy way. But it can also make users feel less connected. Maybe they don't have enough likes or friends. But frankly, there's not one answer to the conundrum of social media during the pandemic. It's sort of both a means to connect, but it also could be a means to greater sense of social isolation and loneliness. It's hard to know. For some of us, it's allowed us to keep in touch with our families when we can't see them. Some of us haven't seen our families for well over a year, but for the phone, but for FaceTiming, but for Zoom, we wouldn't have any connection. While others are busily counting the number of likes they have or the, the number of unlikes they have. When I first thought of loneliness, one, one thought kept permeating my brain. And that was a Beatles song, Eleanor Rigby. It was the concept of putting her face in a jar by the door. And I thought of what that meant. And that meant to me the true meaning of loneliness. I can put my face on. I can go into the world. I can see what's around me. I don't want to connect to it. I want a false front to keep me from that world. I can then go home. I can take my false front off and I can be alone may not be the most social person, but I can choose to be alone. I can choose to be in the world. I can't imagine what it would be like to be the person who can't make those choices. And because they can't make those choices, they risk an untimely death, illnesses that I wouldn't wish on anybody, sadness and depression, but we're not without an ability to help. Do you know that the loneliness scale from UCLA is only three questions? We could so easily add that to the social determinants of health. 
to make sure that when your PCP, when, when clinicians, when anyone works with folks, they ask those questions and they determine right away if they're dealing with somebody lonely. And imagine this, imagine that they find out you're lonely and they, rec- and they give your name to a entity that just makes house, just makes house calls. Maybe on the phone, maybe it knocks on the door, maybe it just picks some flowers for their garden and brings it to you. Just imagine the possibilities. We know that social determinants of health can identify people who are food insecure and direct them to food banks who are housing insecure at their risk of losing their housing and they can direct them towards some help. Who don't have transportation to healthcare, they find them transportation. So all I'm suggesting, all I'm advocating for is that we take the social determinants of health and and we add loneliness and we find the social societal solutions to loneliness that we can give to the lonely and give to the people who want to help the lonely and move towards a society where we one, acknowledge that loneliness is a problem and two, we do something about it. Thank you very much for tuning in. My name is Suki Norris and if I've given you any information, maybe it's this. Take the time to say hi to the next person you see on the street, or maybe knock on the door of your neighbor and just check in to make sure they're doing okay. This podcast has been sponsored by The Echo Group, the leading electronic health record in behavioral health, featuring the only visual health record. You can see it yourself at echobh.com.